Come follow me, the Savior said. Then let us in his footsteps tread. For thus alone can we This is Lexi Austin, and you are listening to The Savior Said, Season 2. This is a weekly podcast that follows my study of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Each week, I will be using the Come Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This curriculum can be found online at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For more fun, follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Savior Said. Please note, episodes of The Savior Said are not meant to replace your Come Follow Me experience, but to supplement your own personal study of the scriptures. Hey guys, welcome back to The Savior Said. This is the episode for April 20th through 26th. The chapters are Mosiah 4th through 6th, and it's called A Mighty Change. We're going to be talking about changes of heart and things like that. Um, But first, I want to talk about, I got a comment this week that says, you know, I really love the podcast, but you talk so fast. I have a really hard time understanding what you're saying, and I'm so sorry to the person who posted that, and I'm sure there are others out there that think that I talk very fast. Um, guys, it's just part of the way I am. I'm going to try and slow down. I promise. But like ever since I was teeny tiny, like I've just talked really fast. Um, fun fact, when I was in seventh grade, actually, I was in a public speaking contest at a national level. It was in Washington, D.C., and I went and like on my note cards, like everywhere, it slow down, slow down, like constantly to this day when I give talks, like I have to write in red letters, like in the margins, slow down because I tend to just like start rolling and I just, right? So um, in the words of my husband, slow your roll, baby chicken, is what he tells me all the time. So I'm going to try and slow my roll so that it's easier to understand me. Guys, if you've been having a hard time understanding me, I'm sorry. I really am going to try and work on it. We're going to try and have a mighty change of, um, I guess, word speed today. <laughs> Not only heart, mighty change of heart, but mighty change of word speed as well. All right, so this week... With Mosiah 4 through 6. Um, I love Come Follow Me. I love the questions that they ask. And they ask some really good questions. And I went through and I read them and things like that. But a lot of it seemed, I don't know, really self-explanatory or like the, or we've talked about that before or whatever. So I want to do something a little bit different this week. I want to go through the scriptures like verse by verse kind of and talk about some of the things that popped out at me. And as we do that, I've also got a talk or two that I'm going to be stringing in there too. And as we do that... I think you guys are going to see a lot of the stuff that Come Follow Me asks, but we're going to talk about it just by going through the chapters, if that's okay. All right, so starting off with Mosiah 4. The first verse that really jumped out to me was Mosiah 4.2. And they had viewed themselves in their own carnal state, even less than the dust of the earth. And they cried aloud with one voice, saying, Oh, have mercy and apply the atoning blood of Christ that we may receive forgiveness of our sins. Our hearts may be purified for we believe in Jesus Christ, the son of God who created the heaven and the earth and all things who shall come down among the children of men. So just to rewind, you know, King Benjamin is giving his speech and in his, you know, he kind of pauses or whatever. And so the people get together. And the thing that is interesting to me is this phrase. And they all cried aloud with one voice. Like, this is a huge crowd of people. Um, so much so that even King Benjamin standing on a tower and talking, like they can't even all hear him. So how did they know to cry aloud with one voice and say this like specific phrase? I don't know. I don't know that there's any like gospel 
undercurrent to that or anything like that. I'm just, it's interesting to me. They all cried aloud with one voice. Like, how how did this happen? It's just one of those technicalities of the scriptures, I guess, that I just wonder, like, how it went down. But um, that's probably, like, the least important part of that verse. The rest of the verse is, like, really important. But that's, like, the part that stuck out to me because I'm like, how did they all know to say this all at the same time? Um, but, okay, so King Benjamin's been talking to them. Also, aside, this week, as I've been studying, I keep calling King Benjamin King B. Um, like, you know, Beyonce is Queen B, like, and King Benjamin's kind of like the Beyonce of um, the Nephites at that point. So, I don't know. In, in my mind, every time I see his name, King Benjamin, I think King B. So, um, King B is saying. Um, he's been talking, and they have obviously, you know, taken his words to heart, and they want to be good and they want to follow Jesus Christ and they want a covenant with him and they want that forgiveness. And so in verse three there in Mosiah four, King B tells us how to get that. It says, and it came to pass that after they had spoken these words, the spirit of the Lord came upon them and they were filled with joy, having a remission of their sins and having peace of conscience because of the exceeding faith, which they had in Jesus Christ, who should come according to the words, which King Benjamin had spoken unto them. So interesting to me is that they have faith in Jesus Christ who is to come. And, you know, if you've listened to the podcast for any length of time, you know, I am always so amazed at the people who had faith in Christ before he came. You know, they had so very little information about him except for that he was going to come and he was going to save them in their sins. And, you know, I'm just so amazed at the people who are able to believe with that small amount of information. You know, we have huge like gospel libraries full of talks and things like that about Christ and about who he is and what he does for us and our covenants with him. Like we have mass amounts of information and they didn't have all that. You know, they just had King Benjamin up there talking to them and bearing testimony of Christ and they believed on that. And that to me is just huge. I mean, I just, I am always overwhelmed and just astonished at the faith of people who are able to believe in Christ before he was ever even born. One of the phrases that stuck out to me that I wanted to talk to you guys about was having peace of conscience. Um, This is how you know you've received a remission of your sins or you've been forgiven because you're filled with joy. You have a peace of conscience. And I don't know. Okay, so I had a friend, a situation with a friend when we were in like teenagers. We were in high school and there was a sin that she had to go confess to her bishop. And she comes out and she's like, Lexi, I, I just don't know. Maybe I did something wrong in the repentance process. Or I'm like, why? Why do you think you did something wrong? And she says, I don't feel that overwhelming like load lifted. She's like, I don't feel any different. I just feel like the same that I was before. And I thought about that for a long time. I'm like, isn't she supposed to be like having peace of conscience and being filled with joy and everything like that? And I was like, well... Maybe here's one of the things, like, let's pretend that the sin that she was carrying around, let's say it was like a balloon, maybe like a water balloon, right? And it's on a string. And so she's kind of carrying around the water balloon. It's like dragging behind her. Well, as she makes it right with her heavenly father and personally, you know, she's praying to her heavenly father. She's talking to him. She's doing everything she can on her own to make that sin right, Then all of a sudden the water drains out of the water balloon. Maybe it gets filled with air or helium. And she still has that balloon. It's still tied to her wrist, but it's not quite as heavy because she's already taken the first steps towards repentance. She's still got something tied to her wrist, though. So she goes in and talks to her bishop, which is the final step in her repentance. And working with her bishop, you know, finally she's fully forgiven. And at that point, 
the balloon is cut off of her wrist and is let go. Well, now, dragging around a water balloon is much different from dragging around a balloon made of helium everywhere you go. You know, the balloon made of helium is still there. You still have to take the final step to get rid of it. But maybe you don't have that overwhelming weight that you've been carrying around. If you've properly repented of it with your Heavenly Father and you just have the one last step to go to your bishop and let him help you make it right. You know, so if you have gone to your bishop or you've had a sin that you've repented of and you're like, I don't feel that overwhelming, like, oh, kind of moment as soon as I repent, maybe it's because it's been a gradual process. You know, we're going to talk a lot about changes of heart and that it's not just one moment. It's like a gradual process. And I think repentance is a lot like that. It's not like, oh, I messed up. So now I'm going to pray real quick and now I'm forgiven. Like, I think it's a whole, it is a change of heart. It is a whole process. And I think little by little it happens. So sometimes when we go through that final step and we're kind of like, well, where's like the load lifted? Where's the angel singing moment? Like, no, it's because we've kind of been getting rid of it all along. And that was just like the last little boop that we had to get rid of, you know? So if you have ever had that situation, I don't want you to think that you haven't truly been forgiven. If you have done everything that your priesthood leader has told you to do, to be forgiven of that sin. And if you've had, you know, talks with your heavenly father about it, I think you're forgiven. If you've fallen all fallen fallen. <laughs> if you've followed all of the advice of our priesthood leaders, then I think you're good. Okay? So, that was all Mosiah 3. All right, we're going to keep <laughs> keep moving on here. Mosiah 4 5. I want to talk about verse 5. For behold, if the knowledge of the goodness of God at this time has awakened you to a sense of your nothingness and your worthless fallen state. Okay, so we have some like kind of negative words there. Your nothingness, your worthless and fallen state. And then going back to Mosiah 4.2, it says they viewed themselves in their own carnal state even less than the dust of the earth. So, okay, sometimes I think it's easy to beat ourselves up. We're not good enough. We don't do enough things right. You know, we're constantly making mistakes and things like that. And these verses, I think, can compound that sometimes. Like we are worthless and we are nothing. And, you know, but here's the thing. We have scripture, in fact, in DNC 1810 that says, remember the worth of souls is great in the sight of God. God doesn't think you are nothing. And he doesn't think you are worthless. In fact, he thinks you are so worthwhile that he died for you. His son, Jesus Christ, died for you. So what is King Benjamin talking about here when he says worthless and nothingness? And it's a humility is what he's talking there. He's talking about making yourself humble before God, recognizing that in relationship to him, you have nothing right? Everything you have, he's given you. In relationship to him, you are fallen. In relationship to him and like what he's worth, if you could put a price on him, like versus a price on us, we, it seems like we are kind of worthless, right? But he doesn't view us that way. And so that's what makes all of this so important because he sent his son so that we can make these covenants with him, that we can take upon his name. And that takes us from that state of worthlessness and gives us worth even though we already had great worth in his eyes, but it helps make us more worthwhile, I guess, if you could say. So does that make sense? Like it's a state of humility. Um, I don't know how to better like 
explain that. Except for I just don't want people to feel badly about themselves when they read those verses or use it as kind of like, I don't know, something to bang themselves over the head with. Like, I'm more nothing. I'm not worthy. It's, it's about being humble before our Heavenly Father and saying, I rely on you, Lord, for everything. You are the one who grants me even my breath, my daily breath. And so relying on him is really what that's about. All right. Let's see. Let's move on to Mosiah 4, 6. And we're going to, yeah, let's see, Mosiah 4, 6. So how do we receive salvation? King B gives us a really good breakdown right here. Number one, the first thing we need to do to receive salvation. He says, if you have come to a knowledge of the goodness of God and his matchless power and his wisdom and his patience and his long suffering towards the children of men, and also the atonement, which has been prepared from the foundation of the world, that thereby salvation might come to him that should put his trust in the Lord. So number one, if you have a knowledge of God and faith in God, if you have faith in his son and in his son's atonement, that's the first step. Two, be diligent in keeping his commandments. Okay, so number one, have faith in God the Father and in his son. Two, keep the commandments. And then three is continue in the faith even unto the end of his life. And I mean the end of the mortal body. Okay, that's a pretty easy formula. You know, we go and we like to think that we have all these different rules for stuff and you have to do this. And But when we break it down, King Benjamin breaks it down very simply. Number one, have faith. Number two, be diligent to that faith which you have. And number three, endure with that faith and diligence. Like that's, that's it. Like that's what you got to do, right? Um, Diligent in keeping the commandments and following God. I mean, that's, that's a whole lot more simple, I think, than sometimes we like to make it. All right, moving on to Mosiah 4, 9. All right. This is a favorite scripture alert. Like I love this scripture so much. It says, believe in God, believe that he is and that he created all things, both in heaven and in earth. Believe that he has all wisdom and all power, both in heaven and in earth. Believe that man doth not comprehend all the things which the Lord can comprehend. That's one of those, like, I call them my bathroom mirror scriptures because it's one of the scriptures that I print out and put on my bathroom mirror. Um, Believe that he's created everything and he's got this, is what that says to me. Believe that he has all wisdom and all power, both in heaven and earth, and he is working in your life with that power and wisdom. Believe that you don't understand everything that he understands and that when we put our trust in him, we're putting our trust in someone who knows the entire situation and knows it perfectly. Um, that's why it's one of my favorite, favorite verses. It's all about trust, knowing the knowing your heavenly father and knowing his role in his relationship to you and what he is doing for you is kind of what that scripture is all about. I really love it. All right, we're going to move on to Mosiah 4, 12 through 15. And by the way, just because I am skipping some of the scriptures as we go through like this stuff, if I skip something, you know, just know it's just something that didn't stand out to me to talk to you guys about. It doesn't mean that it's bad or worthless or whatever. It's it's just, uh, I just didn't feel like I needed to shout it out, right? Okay, so we're moving on to Mosiah 4, 12 through 15. And behold, I say unto you that if you do, ye do this always, ye shall rejoice and be filled with the love of God and always retain a remission of your sins. And ye shall grow in the knowledge of the glory of him that created you or in the knowledge of that which is just and true. And you will not have a mind to injure one another, but to live peaceably 
and to render to every man according to that which is his due. And you will not suffer your children that they go hungry or naked. Neither will you suffer that they transgress the laws of God and fight and quarrel with one another and serve the devil, who is the master of sin, who is the evil spirit, which has been spoken of by our fathers, he being an enemy to all righteousness. But you will teach them to walk in the ways of truth and soberness, and you will teach them to love one another and to serve one another. Okay, so underneath this, I have a note. (laughs) The note's like underlined, and it says, King B did not live in a quarantine with a teenager. (laughs) Okay, so for those of you who are currently quarantined due to the COVID virus, um, and you are living with teenagers, or even just kids in general, I think being in this close proximity and close quarters, um, we tend to bump heads a little bit more than we would normally. And I know for me particularly, I bump heads with my kid when he is so similar to me. And so it's like looking in a mirror and it just makes me want to punch the mirror. Like we just do not get along sometimes. And that is, you know, I, then I go and I read these verses from King Benjamin I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to teach him not to quarrel with one another, but like I just quarreled with him. I'm supposed to teach him to walk in the ways of truth, but I'm so impatient and I'm not the best example of that all the time. And how do I do that? And so my advice to you for anyone out there who is facing a similar situation is to just keep trying. That's the best we can do. You know, pray for our Father's grace to be with us and pray for the strength and the enabling power to be better and to do better. And I felt that a couple of times this week where I've been nudged and I'm like, oh, nope, don't say that. Say this instead. And I've been able to say that instead and kind of keep the peace. And it's my fervent prayer right now. It's like, please, please, please help me to keep the peace here in my home. Um, it's a whole lot easier when we got other stuff going on outside or we've got other places we can be and other people to talk to. It's a whole lot easier. Then, um, you know, even my husband still gets to go to work because he has a job that's considered essential by the government. And he's also got his own office at work. And so he's successfully like social distance when he's at work. So he's at work all day long. So it's just me and my kid at home. And so my poor husband walks in the door and I'm like, like, you think I talk fast now? Like he gets home and I'm like, like nonstop for like about two hours. And he's like, oh my gosh, I can tell you didn't talk to anyone today. I'm like, yes, I didn't. I didn't talk to any adults today. Now I need to talk to an adult. All right, but moving on. Mosiah 4, 16 through 20. And also ye yourselves will succor those that stand in need of your succor. And you will administer of your substances unto him that standeth in need. And you will not suffer that the beggar putteth up his petition to you in vain and turn him out to perish. Perhaps thou shalt say, This man has brought upon himself his misery, therefore I will stay my hand and not give to him food or nor impart of my substance, that he may not offer, suffer, for his punishments are just. Okay, so pause there. I'm like raising my hand. I have said that before. That's really awful. But I have said like, oh, well, he's the one who chose to do drugs. So he's the one who's chose to live homeless underneath the bridge. Why should I support his lifestyle of taking drugs? Like, why should I do that? Well, King Benjamin answers that as well in the next verse, 18. But I say unto you, O man, whosoever doeth this, the same hath great cause to repent. And except he repenteth of that which he hath done, he perisheth forever, and hath no interest in the kingdom of God. For behold, are we not all beggars? Do we not all depend upon the same being, even God, for all the substance which we have, for both food and raiment, and for gold and silver? 
but for all the riches which we have of every kind? And behold, even at this time, you have been calling on his name and begging for a remission of your sins. And has he suffered that you begged in vain? Nay, he has poured out his spirit upon you, and has caused that your heart shall be filled with joy, and has caused that your mouth shall should be stopped that you could not find utterance. So exceedingly great was your joy. So here I am over here judging this guy. Like he did drugs and that's why he's now living underneath the overpass on the freeway. And that, but then I turn on to God and say, please forgive me of this. And he could throw his hands up in the air and be like, well, you're the one who chose to be impatient. And now you're the one who's in a fight with so-and-so because of your impatience. You know, he could say the exact same thing to me that I'm saying to this beggar, but he doesn't. He says, okay, I know you did this to yourself and you got yourself into this mess, but I'm still going to forgive you. And I'm still going to pour my spirit out upon you. And I'm still going to be with you. And that's where that humility comes in again. Not that we are worthless because we're great in the sight of God, but because sometimes I think our actions definitely are not godlike. Um, sometimes we definitely do not put our will in line with what God wants for us. And so that's where we have to seek his will and his hand in our lives for that forgiveness and the repentance and just his grace. Um, that was a whole section that kind of was like, oh, I need to do better about that. Because, you know, you know, if you've been listening, again, for any length of time, you know my two big flaws, I feel like, in my life are number one, that I'm impatient, and number two, that I'm judgy. I tend to judge very easily. And both of those are things that I'm working on. But judging someone who's begging by the side of the road with like a little sign or something is something that I do a lot. And so that's something that I'm going to have to change and I'm going to have to be better about, I think. Um, so yeah, that was something that came to me this week. Um, it was a, a moment where I kind of, you know, you have like those, I guess, sacrament meeting talks like in your mind to yourself. And that was kind of a sacrament meeting mind talk for me this week that I did in my head. All right. Mosiah 4.27. And see that all these things are done in wisdom and in order, for it is not requisite that a man should run faster than he hath strength. And again, it is expedient that he should be diligent, that thereby he might win the prize. Therefore, all things must be done in order. Okay, so this is one of the verses that also gives me great comfort. It's another bathroom mirror scripture. Um, because here's the thing. King Benjamin's laying out like line after line of things you got to do and ways that you can fall short and things you got to do to make it up and, you know, over and over again. And, you know, it would be very easy, I think, to get overwhelmed with all the things that he has said. Um, it's very easy to get overwhelmed just reading it, right? Um, and I think he does a really good job of right here saying, you know, don't let this be too hard. Keep it simple. You know, find Christ. Do what you need to do. Put it in order. You know, don't be extra. If you don't have to be extra, don't do not do it with jazz hands. Just do what needs to be done. And don't, you know, I guess overdo it is kind of what I'm thinking. You know, don't do it. Don't run faster than you have strength. You know, do what you can with what you have. And the Lord makes it okay in the end. Do what you can with what you have and it will be all right is kind of what I see. So that reminds me that, again, I can't save the entire world, but I can save my little corner of it if I do what I know what I'm supposed to and act the way I know I'm supposed to and lead others the way that I know I'm supposed to. I can use my talents for good. And my little corner of the world, yeah, I can take care of. I can't save the entire world, but I can take care of my own little corner here. And that's what I can do. So 
That's what Mosiah 4.27 means to me. Also, I have a note that says straight and narrow path. And here's one of the good things I think about our Father in heaven. You know, we have all these different scriptures that talk about being on the straight and narrow path. And I believe firmly that as we get on the straight and narrow path, it becomes narrower. And I think the way that that happens is, you know, we decide, hey, I want to commit my life to God. I want to do what God wants me to. And you've taken a step onto that path. You're like, okay, well, here's the things I need to cut out of my life. You take another step and the path gets a little bit narrower because you have cut those things out of your life. So now you've got other things that you need to focus on. You take a step forward and the path narrows a little more because you've already cut those other things out. But now there's some other things that you need to work on. And so I think also what King Benjamin is saying in this verse is don't expect to be perfect now. It is a process. Figure out what you need to do today, in this week, in this month, in this year, to stay on that path and keep taking those steps along that path. And as it narrows more and more, then your character grows more and more as well. Um, You learn different ways to handle those different temptations and to handle those different, I guess, flaws as I see in myself um, and to be stronger in them right? So I guess I see that too, the straight and narrow path there. All right, moving on to Mosiah 4.29. (laughs) Oh, I've got a story about this one. Okay, so Mosiah 4.29. And finally, I cannot tell you all the things whereby you may commit sin, for there are diverse ways and means, even so many that I cannot number them. Okay, so smart, smart of King Benjamin to say that, because honestly, we do not need a rule detailing every situation. Um, And there's some, sometimes I think we try to do that and then someone finds a whole new situation. You're like, okay, well now we have to make a rule about that. Um, I have a younger sister who jokes all the time, like I'm the person they make rules about. Uh, (laughs) And here's the story about that. So uh, when I was, uh, I don't know, like maybe 23, I just come back from BYU and I was living at home with my parents um, and my ward called me to be Laurel advisor. And the reason they called me to be a Laurel advisor is I had a younger sister who was a Laurel and was kind of like, you know, heck on wheels. We'll just say that. Like, she was just a wild one. Not not that she did anything bad, but I mean, she had a mouth on her. She still has a mouth on her. Like, she will tell you exactly what she's thinking at all times. And I mean, she just does what she wants. Like, that's, I do what I want. I go where I want. I, you know, whatever. And that's just how she was. And so they put me in there as a Laurel advisor to kind of like jerk the reins a little bit on her and keep her under control. So that first year, we go to girls' camp. And as we're getting ready for, for girls' camp, they had, like, you know, the rules. We're going down the rules. And they had, a, like, a weirdly specific rule. It was, like, do not invite boys to girls' camp. Do not go out and order food with them. And do not leave the camp premises. I'm like, what? What is this? Like, why Why would anyone even think of that? And she turns to look at me. And she's like, I had this guy, I'm not even going to say his name. I had this guy show up in a pickup truck last year at girls camp and me, a bunch of girls got in the back and he took us out for pizza and they found out about it. It's like, and they made this rule specifically for us. Like, oh my gosh. So this is King Benjamin saying like, I don't even know how you guys are going to creatively find ways to mess up, but I know you are like in the middle of girls camp, you're going to call some guy to come pick you up and take you out for pizza. And so I'm not going to make a million specific rules. I'm just going to tell you, be good. Like, you know, just do what you know what you're supposed to. And that's what I told her as I was like, you know, you were not supposed to do that. 
Just because there wasn't a rule saying you can't leave campgrounds with a guy to go get pizza doesn't mean that you can do that. Like, (laughs) there's so many ways that you can be bad and, like, mess things up. You know. You know the lines. Find those lines and stay within them. Someone should not have to spell out every single section of your life and every single movement of your life. Otherwise, we become very law of Moses-y, you know, like in the time of Christ. They had their entire lives spelled out for them. This is much more open-ended. Like, I can't even tell you all the ways that you guys are going to find to mess up. King B didn't know about the internet. He didn't know about all the different ways that the internet is going to lead us astray, right? But he just says, you know what? There's so many. You just follow Christ. Follow Christ. Repent when you need to. And just do what's right. You know, like, that's just the simple thing. All right. That was Mosiah 4. Let's move on to Mosiah 5 now. So Mosiah 5, 2 is where we're going to start. And it says, and they all cried with one voice. There's that one voice again. Like, how are they all crying with the same one voice? Or is this like, I don't know, maybe they like had one messenger that like went around among them and then like came to King Benjamin with like their message. I don't know. I'm just very interested in how that all went down. Okay. But they all cried with one voice saying, yay, we believe all the words which thou hast spoken unto us. And also we know of their surety and truth because of the spirit of the Lord omnipotent, which has wrought a mighty change in us or in our hearts. And we have no more disposition to do evil, but to do good continually. Okay, so this scripture has given me heartache before. (laughs) I guess like heartburn, indigestion. I don't know. It's given me like things to think about before. Because I'm like, I believe in Christ. I want to do good. But yet I still, you know, sometimes want to do bad stuff. So do I truly believe in Christ if I still have like those desires and those temptations to go do bad stuff? Like what? maybe my heart's not changed the way it needs to be. And... I don't know, like that's something I've thought about a lot. And every time I go back in and I read these verses, I'm like, well, maybe, maybe I'm not where I'm supposed to be. Like the King Benjamin people, like they believed and all of a sudden they were better. And the thing that I've come to learn is that it's not a snap moment where this happens. Okay. We're going to talk a little bit about it. This is from a talk from the April Ensign, like the one that's coming out, like came out this month for like April, 2020. They've got a little essay that Elder Kyle McKay wrote. And it's for specifically for Come Follow Me, but it's called A Mighty Change of Heart. He starts out the essay talking about cancer and how prevalent cancer is within our society. And if you think about it, you probably know at least one person, if not like multiple people in your lives who have suffered from cancer, right? And he talks about, you know, the prevalence of it. And then he says, cancer cancer patients undergo treatment in order to put the cancer into remission Complete remission means that there is no longer any detectable evidence of the disease. However, professionals are quick to point out that although a patient may be in remission, it does not necessarily mean that he or she is cured. Thus, although remission provides relief and hope, cancer patients always hope for something beyond remission. They hope to be cured. According to one source, to render someone cured of cancer, one has to wait and see if the cancer will ever come back. So time is the crucial factor. If a patient remains in remission for a few years, the cancer might be cured. Certain cancers can reoccur after many years of remission. He goes on to say, as devastating as cancer is to the body, sin is even more devastating to the soul. Sin usually starts small, sometimes imperceptibly small, but is capable of growing rapidly. It cankers, then cripples, 
and then kills the soul. It is the major cause, indeed, the only cause, of spiritual death in all of creation. The treatment for sin is repentance, and true repentance is 100% effective in putting the sinner in remission or bringing about a remission of sins. This remission offers relief and joy to the soul. However, receiving a remission of sin and being free from the symptoms and effects of sin does not necessarily mean that the sinner has been completely cured. There is something about the heart of fallen man that allows or is susceptible to sin. Thus, sin can reoccur even after years of remission. Staying in remission, or in other words, retaining a remission of sins, is crucial to being completely healed. All right, and so we're going to pause there. As I was reading this, I thought a lot about, I have a dear friend who is a recovering alcoholic, and I actually tried to get them to come on the show, but they didn't want to do it. Um, A couple years ago, they had kind of, I guess, a crisis situation that kind of brought the alcoholism and drug use and stuff that they were doing, it brought it to light. And they finally got some help. And with the help of their bishop, found a program and began working with Alcoholics Anonymous and um, going through the 12-step program. And it's interesting to me that friends specifically will not go to specific places because they know that if they walk into that specific place, that's going to trigger some of these old, you know, habits or old like longings or addictions. And they'll, they'll, they just have to stay away from it. And so when I was reading this, and it talks about sin can reoccur even after years of remission, aren't we all addicts to one sin or another? And don't we need to stay away from those places where that sin occurs? You know, I think the most difficult thing about that, you know, again, my two pet peeve sins, or I guess my two favorite mistakes, my two favorite sins, um, are being impatient and being judgy. And so do I stay away from situations where they occur? No, because they happen every single day. So how do we do that? You know, it's not like we can just stay away from a bar. Like that's a little bit easier, I think, than staying away from situations where you can be impatient and judgy. So you just have to watch yourself constantly because there may be a week where I'm like, yeah, I'm doing really good, doing great. And then the government issues a quarantine and you have to go into lockdown with your 14-year-old and all of a sudden all that impatience work you've done, out the window, right? So I don't know. I thought that was really interesting. All right, cleansed and cured. This analogy helps us to understand that spiritually, we must not only be cleansed from sin, but also cured of sinfulness. The war that pits our will to do good against our nature to do bad can be tiring. Yes, it is. I feel like every day I'm repenting of the same thing. All right. If faithful, we will be victorious, not simply because we have imposed our will upon our nature, but because we have yielded our will to God and he has changed our nature. King Benjamin taught, for the natural man is an enemy to God and has been from the fall of Adam and will be forever and ever unless he yields to the enticings of the Holy Spirit and putteth off the natural man through the atonement of Christ the Lord. In response to this and other teachings, Benjamin's people prayed, O have mercy and apply the atoning blood of Christ that we may receive forgiveness of our sins and our hearts may be purified. That was from this week's reading, Mosiah 4.2. After they prayed, the Lord responded to their two-part request. First, the Spirit of the Lord came upon them, and they were filled with joy, having received a remission of their sins and having peace of conscience. Seeing that his people were in remission, King Benjamin urged them towards a complete cure by teaching them how to stay in remission. 
If ye do this, he promised, ye shall always rejoice and be filled with the love of God and always remain retain a remission of your sins. The people believe and bound themselves to King Benjamin's words, whereupon the Lord answered the second part of their prayer, that their hearts might be purified. In gratitude and praise, the people cried out, The Spirit of the Lord Omnipotent has wrought a mighty change in us or in our hearts, that we have no more disposition to do evil, but to do good continually. King Benjamin explained that this mighty change meant that they had been born of God. Here we should pause and acknowledge that this mighty change of which we speak is wrought in us. It is not wrought by us. We are capable of repenting, changing our conduct, our attitudes, even our desires and beliefs. But it is beyond our power and capacity to change our nature. For this mighty change, we are wholly reliant upon Almighty God. It is He who graciously purifies our hearts and changes our nature after all we can do. His invitation is constant and sure. Repent and come unto me with full purpose of heart and I shall heal you. The effect of being healed from sinfulness is that we become changed from our carnal and fallen state to a new state of righteousness becoming his sons and daughters, and thus we become new creatures. Our countenances radiate the light of Christ. Moreover, the scriptures tell us that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. This is so, not because we are incapable of sinning, but because now our nature is not to sin. That is a mighty change indeed. It should be remembered that experiencing a mighty change of heart is a process over time, not a point in time. This change is usually gradual, sometimes incrementally and imperceptible, but it is real, it is powerful, and it is necessary. That to me was very comforting, the fact that it is a process over time and not a point in time. You know, I think there are some Sundays where I go and I take the sacrament and I feel like, oh, that change of heart has been rotten me. Like, I have no more, you know feelings like I want to do evil or like I want to be bad, like I want to be good continually and I want to and I want to keep that through with me through the rest of the week and oh, then I fail and I fall short. Um, you know, but I liked what he said too that it's wrought in us, not wrought by us. And that's really what I found is on the days where I kneel down and I say, Heavenly Father, I cannot do this on my own. I cannot be patient and loving and kind on my own naturally. Like, I need you to help me with that. And on those days where I seek his help is where he, like, I was going to say he writes, rots, like there that change is wrought. Let's say that change is wrought. That's maybe the correct tense of that verb in my heart, you know? So I don't know. That's just kind of what I thought. Okay. So that was Mosiah 5, 2 that we just talked about. So I want to talk about some of the other verses that are right around there. Okay, so we just talked about the change in us, our hearts. We have no more disposition to do evil, but to do good continually. Let's talk about three, three, five, okay? And we ourselves also through the infinite goodness of God and the manifestations of his spirit, have great views of that which is to come. Were it expedient, we could prophesy of all things. And it is the faith which we have had on the things which our king has spoken unto us that has brought unto us great knowledge, whereby we do rejoice with such exceedingly great joy. And we are willing to enter into a covenant with our God to do his will and to be obedient to his commandments in all things that he should command us, 
all the remainder of our days, that we shall not bring upon ourselves a never-ending torment, as has been spoken by the angel, that we may not drink out of the cup of wrath of God. Okay, so last week we talked about King Benjamin as a servant leader. Now, one of the definitions of a servant leader was someone who helps the people he's leading become autonomous. And, you know, I said King Benjamin's a really good example of that. And this right here is an example of where King Benjamin, his teaching and his ministry to his people has created autonomy in them. So no longer are they, you know, relying on him, depending on him to be an intermediary between them and God. But now they said, we ourselves through the infinite goodness of God and the manifestations of his spirit have great views of that which is to come. And they said, it's faith which we have had on these things, which our king has spoken unto us that brought us this great knowledge, you know, and we have entered willingly into a covenant with our God. It has gone from King Benjamin telling them what they needed to do to themselves saying, we need to do this thing, you know, and that's the autonomy that a great leader, a servant leader gives his people. And that's one of the ways I see King Benjamin as a great servant leader. So I wanted to point that out there that I love how the people take upon this responsibility and upon this role upon themselves to be responsible for their own personal spiritual welfare. I think that was really cool. Okay, so the next section. (laughs) Oh, guys. Okay, so I've been watching like Harry Potter movies nonstop this week. So just FYI, as we go in here, I feel a little Harry Potter-esque as we go into this section. So I started thinking about you know, they take upon them the name of Christ. So I was like, well, what's in a name? Like, why are names important? And what are some names that we have in our society that people like identify themselves with? And the first example that came to me was the Harry Potter houses. You know, you see someone and like, oh, maybe they have a Harry Potter shirt on or whatever. And you're like, oh yeah, I love Harry Potter too. What house are you? Is like one of the first questions you might ask. And they'll say, oh, well, I am a Hufflepuff. And you'll be like, okay, they're a really nice person. That means that they're really nice. They're accepting. Maybe they love to bake and like cookies too, because a lot of Hufflepuffs do that, you know, but it immediately tells you something about them. I'm a Ravenclaw. I carry a proud like Ravenclaw crest on the back of my car. I have a sticker that says Ravenclaw on the back of my car. Um, Why do I do that? I guess it's because like, that's one of the first things people I want them to know about me is that I'm curious and I like learning and I'm open-minded and things like that. So those are kind of some of the qualities that you would associate with that name, Ravenclaw. You know, the qualities that you associate with Slytherin, maybe not so great, but, you know, there's they have some good aspects. They get some things done and, um, you know, and then Gryffindor, the qualities you associate with Gryffindor is going to be bravery and fighting for injustice and fighting for justice in the case of injustice, you know, things like that. So, You have certain qualities that you associate with each one of these houses. So if someone comes up to you and says, I'm of the house of Christ, what qualities apply to that person? If someone says, I follow Christ, what qualities apply to that person? If someone says, I'm a member of the church of Christ, I'm the member of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, what qualities follows that person? You know, what does it tell you about their personality? And it should tell you that they are not perfect, but that they're trying, right? Um, And we read here in Mosiah 5, 7 and 8. Now, because of the covenant which you have made, you shall be called children of Christ, his sons and his daughters. For behold, this day he hath spiritually begotten you. For ye say that your hearts are changed through faith on his name. Therefore, ye are born of him and become, become his sons and daughters. 
And under this head, ye are made free. And there is no other head whereby you can be made free. There is no other name given whereby salvation cometh. Therefore, I would that you would take upon you the name of Christ, all you that have entered into the covenant with God, that you should be obedient unto the end of your lives. Okay, so that's where we take upon us the name of Christ. We're in Christ's house now. We have those personality traits of Christ with us because of that change in our heart that we've we've had, right? Okay, continuing on with, we're going to do nine, let's see, nine through maybe 15. Yeah, nine through 15. Here you go. And it shall come to pass that whosoever doeth this shall be found at the right hand of God, for he shall know the name by which he is called, for he shall be called by the name of Christ. And now it shall come to pass that whosoever shall not take upon him the name of Christ must be called by some other name. Therefore, he findeth himself on the left hand of God. You don't want to be on the left hand of God, guys. Like, no, no, we want to be on the right hand. And I would that you should remember also that this is the name that I said I should give unto you, that should never be blotted out except it be through transgression. Therefore, take heed that you do not transgress, that name be blotted out of your hearts. I say unto you, I would that you would remember to retain the name written always in your hearts, that you are not found on the left hand of God, but that ye hear and know the voice by which ye shall be called, and also the name by which he shall call you. For how knoweth a man the master whom he hath not served, and who is a stranger unto him, and is far from the thoughts and intents of his heart? And again, doth a man take an ass which belongeth to his neighbor and keep him? I say unto you, Nay, he will not even suffer that he shall feed among his flocks, but he will drive him away and cast him out. I say unto you that even so shall it be among you, if you know not the name by which you are called. Therefore, I would that you should be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in good works, that Christ, the Lord God omnipotent, may seal you his, that ye may be brought to heaven, that ye may have everlasting salvation and eternal life through the wisdom, power, justice and mercy of him who created all things in heaven and earth who is god all above amen so here's the thing i think in 15 is where he gives us the best description of being christ's and being in christ's house and the personality traits of that you are steadfast and you are immovable always abounding in good works right those are going to be the personality traits of the people who are christ's and that's what we need to strive to be. Like those are the ideals of what we would strive to be. Um, and I try, I strive to do that. I, I want to be that. And so that's something I think I'm setting for myself is to be more steadfast and immovable, especially in those places of my life where I know where I'm most weak. Um, and I want to end, this is another just kind of fun for fun thing. It's not serious at all, but this is another Harry Potter thing. So the Harry Potter houses, I feel like are so perfect because I, they identify four different, I guess, personality types that we find within like the human race. Um, and people kind of self-identify with these four different personality types and qualities and stuff like that. Even King Benjamin has figured out that there are four different qualities here that apply among the human race. Because if we're looking in verse 15, he has four different words that he use, uses to, I guess, apply to God like the different things that God has. He has wisdom, power, justice, and mercy. So if we are trying to become like the father, you know, those are four Harry Potter house traits that I see right there. Wisdom would be Ravenclaw. Power would be Slytherin. Justice would be Gryffindor. And mercy would be Hufflepuff. 
So the very, very best of those houses is what I see in God the Father. So I don't know. Again, bringing in Harry Potter to scriptural things. I've watched a lot of Harry Potter this week, guys, in case you can't tell. (laughs) I've got quarantine brain. I'm sorry. But I hope wherever you guys are, I hope that you are healthy. I hope that you are happy. Thanks for hanging out with me this week with me and King B. And I hope that I talked a little bit slower this time. I tried really hard, guys. I tried really hard. Have a good week. Stay healthy. Wash your hands. I love you. Bye, y'all. The Savior Said is not an official product or endorsed by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All comments and opinions are my own personal opinions and not representative of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The music used in The Savior Said is Fireflies and Stardust by Kevin McLeod. The hymn quoted in the opening is Come Follow Me, lyrics by John Nicholson. The Come Follow Me curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For show notes, new episode alerts, and other fun and inspirational things, check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. You can also find me on Instagram. Comments or questions? Email me at thesaviorsaid at gmail.com. Content in The Savior Said is copyright protected. All rights are reserved. Thank you for listening. 